0: Welcome to Stroke of Genius, a show exploring inventions, the inventors behind them, and the role that intellectual property plays in dreams becoming reality.
1: If it were not for the patent system, Johnson Research wouldn't exist. We would not have been able to realize the success that we've had.
0: I'm your host, Lauren Hutchinson. I'm a historian of science and a technology reporter, and I'm fascinated by humankind's ability to innovate and advance the world we live in. In this episode, we'll profile Dr. Lonnie Johnson, a nuclear and mechanical engineer who has worked on NASA space missions, development of the stealth bomber, and energy projects for the Air Force. You may not already know the name Lonnie Johnson, but chances are you're familiar with his most popular invention, the Super Soaker.
1: You know, I did not expect Super Soaker to be the huge success that it's been. I thought it would be enough just to, for me to be free to work on my own projects. But if it were not for the Super Soaker and that success, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now. There's no question about it.
0: Lonnie Johnson is a testament to the power of patents. Some inventors experience a single aha moment. They come up with one truly unique idea in a lifetime. Lonnie, well. Wow.
1: Uh, I 134, apparently. I was just given a number here a few minutes ago.
0: Dr. Johnson currently holds an incredible 134 patents. So we asked, how important is it to file and own patents for what you create?
1: Well, I think it's extremely important. I mean, it's challenging because of the costs and the issues associated with it, even protecting patents and things like that. I mean, it's a complicated space, but it's extremely important. And even now, you know, the things that we do, the research that we do, the engine technology and so forth, we patent the work, the technology that we've developed so that we can license it. It turned out that that was very enabling for me.
0: But before Dr. Lonnie Johnson was the prolific inventor he is today, he started out, like many innovators, as an inquisitive kid. His story begins in Mobile, Alabama, in the early 1950s. He was always curious, trying to help his father and uncle tinker with things around the house. Not one to keep suggestions to himself, when Lonnie saw something that needed fixing, he said something.
1: There was times when actually I could uh, make contributions and there were times as a small kid when my ideas were not really um, acknowledged because I was a small kid and and they assumed that I didn't understand what they were doing and so I had actually advised that there was something they were doing that I thought would not work. It turned out that I was right, but it was too late for them to fix it because they got the whole project assembled and then they looked to see what was wrong and I was in a I told you so moment. (laughs) You know, I must have been about five years old or five or six, something like that.
0: This would not be the last I told you so moment for Dr. Johnson. Continually throughout his life, he found himself having to prove the merit of an innovative idea to a chorus of non-believers. But as a child, his curiosity was unbridled.
1: Oh, geez, I worked on all kinds of little projects. Um, you know, I did a lot of little mixing of different chemicals I could find around the house because I was curious to know what would happen if I put, you know, one chemical with another chemical. Sometimes that'd mix alcohol with medicines and w- whatever I could find in the kitchen, some baking powder, whatever. That was, of course, always exciting and vinegar. Then, you know, as I got older, I got more curious and was uh, started experimenting with rocket fuels and things like that.
0: As he transitioned from playing with kitchen products to experimenting with rocket fuels, Lonnie's creativity and out-of-the-box thinking was on pace for big things. His first big win? Linex the robot.
1: My junior year in high school is when I started. I used to watch these robots on TV, Robbie the robot, the Lost in Space robot, and I wanted to have my own robot. So I started uh, working on Linux when I was in the eleventh grade, and it took me literally a year to finish it. Uh, so it wasn't until my senior year, in the spring, when the school was almost over, that I finally completed him. And there was one science fair left, and that was held at the University of Alabama. It was a regional competition sponsored by the Junior Engineering Technical Society, and I won first place.
0: Winning was no small feat in the midst of the civil rights movement. To keep this in context of time and place, Dr. Johnson was an African-American student in an all-black high school in Alabama in 1968.
1: This was back in the 60s, just a few years after Governor Wallace had stood in the door saying, no black students will attend this university. Now therefore I, George C. Wallace, do hereby denounce and forbid this illegal and unwarranted action... Being there the in that government. environment during the 60s when the civil rights movement was in full swing. My senior years, when Robert Kennedy, who right after winning the California primary, he was assassinated. And of course, uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated that year as well. So all of these things obviously had, had a pretty significant impact on my perception of the world. So swimming upstream and realizing that it was going to take a little bit more than just standard procedure to realize some success in the world, uh, because the odds were against me.
0: But in the midst of this volatile period, Lonnie still fondly remembers the feeling of being recognized for his achievements with Linex the Robot.
1: After I won first place, it was really celebrated. You know, my uh, high school principal, we, we would have high school assemblies. You know, all the students were there. He'd actually have me bring the robot out on stage. And, uh, you know, those kind of things where you celebrate kids and cele- celebrate the positive accomplishments, I think those things have a really profound impact.
0: Linex was a fully remote and automatable robot. Although its interior mechanics were complex, on the outside, it looked just like a robot you'd see on TV at the time. Only those were typically actors in costumes. You can check out a picture of Lonnie and Linex for yourself by clicking on the link in the show notes. But here he is describing his creation.
1: Yeah, you know, the th- two things that looked like eyes were actually it's a real, real tape recorder. There was no digital technology back then. So, you know, it was all audio, analog tones and things like that.
0: When asked what inspired him in those days, and who he looked up to, Dr. Johnson spoke of a 1914 Mickey Rooney film called Young Tom Edison.
1: Gosh, you're smart. No, I'm not. I wish I was.
2: You know lots
1: and lots of things. Not half as many things as I'd like to. There's so many things that I don't know, Tanny, that it scares me. Look at that grass. What makes it green? Why isn't it yellow, purple, or black? That boy's a real problem, Nancy. Every time you wake up with a cramp, Sam Edison, you take it out on Tom. He's got that Yankee trait of tinkering with useless things. And I was really fascinated with that movie. And I really, really related to it to it as well because he was constantly getting in trouble for the different projects and things that he would come up with. And uh, even to the point of uh, him trying to make a point and people not listening to him uh, and eventually prevailing in the end, uh, that movie really, really struck home for me, having Adults, you know, believe in you and, and, um, you know, show confidence in what you're trying to do really makes a big difference. My dad, of course, was a great idol. Um, Working with him and watching him, he was, I think, my my greatest role model.
0: Creating LineX and displaying his gift for mechanics brought Lonnie to Tuskegee University in Alabama, where he studied engineering on math and Air Force ROTC scholarships. As soon as he finished his undergraduate program, he went on to pursue his master's in nuclear engineering. After graduating, his career took off on an incredible trajectory. He received his first active duty assignment at the Air Force Weapons Laboratory.
1: There, I was a nuclear safety officer, and we were doing analysis looking at US space launches that used nuclear power sources and making sure that um, We did a really thorough assessment of the risk associated with launching nuclear materials on rockets to make sure that the materials would not be released to the biosphere.
0: Dr. Johnson was at the Air Force Weapons Lab from 1978 to 1979, after which time NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, or JPL, scooped him up.
1: And I guess I must have impressed the people at the Jet Proportion Laboratory enough that they actually offered me a job working on uh, the Galileo project.
0: The Galileo spacecraft, scheduled for launch from the space shuttle in 1985,
2: will leave Earth orbit bound for the first intensive exploration of Jupiter
0: and its four principal satellites. So,
1: you know, I left the Air Force and went out to JPL for about four years working on uh, the uh, Galileo project. And there I was, again, working on those plutonium or nuclear fuel spheres that are used for spacecraft that are going to the outer planets away from the sun because there's not enough energy for uh, solar cells to be practical.
0: The Galileo unmanned spacecraft was launched into orbit on October 18, 1989, by the space shuttle Atlantis. Dr. Johnson's work as a senior systems engineer on this mission was quite profound. He was responsible for making sure that there was enough power available to meet each phase of the mission. While in this role, he worked to solve an issue that cropped up, how to avoid a short circuit or electrical failure which could prove catastrophic while in space.
1: To prevent that from happening I came up with a memory keep alive power supply that my co-workers at the time, fellow engineers, literally went on record saying would not work. I, t- I had in advance told the chief systems engineer uh, on the Galileo project, a guy named Ron Draper, that when you present this idea these guys are going to say it won't work and when they tell you that, let me know, I'll go home and build one in my garage and then bring it in and demonstrate it.
0: As in times past, Dr. Johnson's ideas were being questioned by the status quo. But instead of backing down, he dared them to stand in his way.
1: Well, that was enough to goad them into really focus on, on my, my approach and actually we got it working, got it on the spacecraft. And I literally had co-workers coming up to me and apologizing for things that they had said about me. <laughs> That was one of those moral victories. It's kind of, you know, I, I highlight that one right up there with my high school robot.
0: A through line in all of Dr. Johnson's work is his interest in power and energy sources. We asked where that began for him.
1: You know, it may have actually been born back in high school because one of the things that was very clear to me in building my robot was the need for power, because you need, you need an energy source for it. So I had batteries in the robot, but I also used compressed air, and energy drives everything, and I've, I've had a long-term interest in energy, so it, it's kind of interesting how that evolved.
0: This fascination with energy was always at the core of Dr. Johnson's innovations, and it would soon lead him in an unexpected direction.
1: I was working on this heat pump while at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. I would go home and work on my own projects. And I was in the bathroom doing these experiments with some nozzles that I'd made. And I shot the stream of water across the bathroom and realized uh, I got the idea for a high-performance water gun.
0: Lonnie knew in that instant he had stumbled upon something promising he immediately saw the potential for a high-performance water gun. But as many innovators will attest, the journey from great idea to commercial success is much less instantaneous. The water gun idea was put on hold while he went back on active duty, shifting from several high-level jobs, including working on the stealth bomber. But all the while, he was cultivating his personal projects.
1: I had actually had uh, about six different projects I was working on at the time, and the idea was that, you know, I could get traction with one of them, and that would generate income. I'd be able to strike out on my own and become the entrepreneur that I wanted to become. And I had requested separation from the Air Force to do that, and as my separation date got closer, one by one, those projects got delayed. The water gun was one of them. The investors that I had lined up turned out to be shysters, and I literally fell flat on my face. That was a really, really hard lesson.
0: Though disappointed with the results of his efforts, he continued to persevere. After many years of trial and error, he was on the cusp of his big break.
1: So I literally got the idea for the water gun in 82 before leaving the Jet propulsion Laboratory. It wasn't until 89 I met the people at Laramie and we actually struck a deal. And then the water gun finally made it to the market.
0: Once the Super Soaker hit the market, it quickly left its mark on the toy industry. We caught up with Chris Bench, vice president for the collections and chief curator at the National Toy Hall of Fame at the Strong Museum in Rochester, New York.
1: I grew up with five and dime store squirt guns, which frankly did a better job of dribbling water down your elbow than it did squirting your friend across the yard. The way that Lonnie Johnson applied engineering know-how to creating pressurization within the ultimate squirt gun and could turn my nickel squirt gun into something that people would pay $10 or more for was a breakthrough.
0: Between the innovative design and dynamic advertising campaign, Laramie sold over 27 million super soakers in the first three years of production. In 2015, Chris and his colleagues inducted the Super Soaker into the Strong Museum's National Toy Hall of Fame.
1: The kind of play that that enabled was so different from any water play toy before that. All of that made the Super Soaker a really stellar addition to the National Toy Hall of Fame.
0: Another invention that Dr. Johnson has gifted to preteen boys and girls everywhere? Nerfs in Strike line of toys.
1: People say lightning doesn't strike in the same place twice, you know. When I um, became successful with the uh, Super Soaker, I looked at the other toy guns that were on the market. And the other major toy guns were the Nerf dart guns that Hasbro was producing. And I decided I wanted to go after that market as well. So I started um, designing dart guns. They all outperformed the product that Hasbro had on the market at that time, and uh, I went and presented uh, an entire line of dart guns to Hasbro and convinced them to, to do a deal with me. I, I think they did the deal because they didn't want me to take the, my line of product to someone else. But in any case, the Instrike uh, product line was actually based on my inventions and my, my um, designs for dart guns, and that became very successful. And so, you know, at one point, just about, I think I was the king of all toy guns.
0: <laughs> After years of struggling to break out on his own, Dr. Johnson finally received validation. And what's more, a lucrative licensing deal for his water gun invention. The Super Soaker went on to rank among the world's top 20 best-selling toys. That enabled him the freedom and financial means to build his own lab in Atlanta, Johnson Research and Development.
1: If it were not for the super soaker and that success, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now. There's no question about it.
0: Dr. Johnson's toy designs were initially a means to support his advanced engineering projects. Now, the two pursuits are synergized at Johnson Research and Development. There, researchers embrace the creativity and innovation of the toy industry and bring that spirit back to their work, pushing boundaries in various fields, from consumer products to renewable energy. The lab also serves as a space to cultivate and support the next generation of curious kids, preparing them to question the status quo. Based on his own experience, Dr Johnson is committed to getting the next generation of kids excited about opportunities in STEM, or science, technology, engineering and mathematics. This includes his work with the FIRST programme.
1: First robotics, actually, a lady named Patty Cook actually came to see me out of the blue and um, said she wanted to talk to me about robotics and, and high school robotics. And I looked at her and I said, I'm in. And she says, no, well, you know, she started explaining the program. I said, I'm in. <laughs> I guess realizing what profound impact my building a robot in high school had on me and, and what it meant to me, you know, it was a no-brainer.
3: What FIRST is, is really a STEM movement. Oftentimes when we refer to
0: FIRST, we say it's the only sport where every kid can turn pro. The sports comparison extends throughout the organization's approach to learning. They combine the excitement of sport with the rigors of science and technology. To learn more, we spoke with a FIRST representative who just celebrated her seventh year with the nonprofit.
3: My name is Sarah Stray, and I am the Innovation Awards Manager at FIRST. I really get to wake up every morning and think about how we can inspire and educate students to successfully become those future innovators that the world needs.
0: The organization was founded in 1989 by another prolific inventor, Dean Kamen, who holds over 400 US and foreign patents, including the Segway, but says the invention he is most proud of is FIRST. He created the nonprofit to inspire young people. In fact, the name is actually an acronym, meaning for inspiration and recognition of science and technology.
3: He started the first robotics competition really to create a new vision for our youth, so really wanting them to look up to science and technology leaders so that our youth are dreaming of becoming that next generation of science and technology leaders.
0: Part of meeting this goal is providing relevant examples of modern inventors. While Lonnie had Hollywood's representation of young Thomas Edison to admire, he now offers a real-life model of someone kids can look up to to
3: Everybody knows Lonnie Johnson as the inventor of the super soaker, right? Who doesn't remember and love when they played with a super soaker from their childhood days? But what I think is so important about him is that he's a modern representation of a successful inventor, and he is giving back through his successful inventing to programs like FIRST.
1: Dean Cayman had come in to make a presentation, and shortly after that, we set up a robotics team. I provided space for them here at my facility, and uh, that launched the program. We had one team then. You know, when we set it up, I, you know, my charge to them and to the uh, mentor on the team was that you know, we're going to build competitive robots, but the real mission here is to go into the inner city, go to, and you know, present this technology and this program to kids who otherwise would not participate.
0: Since initially getting involved with FIRST, the Johnson Lab in Atlanta has grown from one team to eight, complete with a practice field, space to store their robots and on-site mentorship. More broadly, the FIRST program is active in over 95 countries around the globe, serving thousands of students. Regardless of technology experience, FIRST believes every kid has the innate potential to be a valued member of a team. Whether you
3: have technical skills and you come in wanting to learn mechanical engineering, or if you come in knowing nothing and just wanna participate in something and are just STEM curious, then there's a place for you on a first team. Oftentimes throughout the course of a season, we will say to some of our students like, hey, tell us why you think kids make the best inventors. And the most poignant answer I ever heard from a student was, well, kids are really good at thinking outside of the box because they don't know where the box is.
0: Kids may not know where the box is, but they are thinking of ways to re-engineer boxes to save lives. We spoke with three young women from Yuma, Arizona, Tatiana, Jocelyn and Flora, and their coach sat outside the busy elementary school cafeteria to tell us who they are and what they made.
2: We are the Super Aqua Squad, and we invented the Aqua Box. The Aqua Box helps transport water bottles effectively to the ground from a helicopter that cannot land.
0: The Aqua Box is made of readily available lightweight, durable materials and can withstand impact when deployed from the air. This project was created as part of the first LEGO League challenge, which tasked students aged 9 to 14 to find an innovative solution to a real world problem. After many rounds of testing, they have found the Aqua Box is 92% effective in delivering water. When asked how they felt about the accomplishment, they mentioned the pride they felt as an all girl team.
2: It makes me feel proud because being in an all-girl team can actually prove that girls aren't just, like, girly girls. They can actually do stuff, because a lot of people assume stuff about girls. My favorite part is working with my team. They're always there to support you. One time I was, like, done because, like, at that point, yeah we were all like very worn out, and like the robot wasn't working, and like like it wouldn't work at all. So I was like two seconds about to give up. And then one of our teammates, Mia, was talking to me and was like, things are gonna happen, but we have to work through it together. And then we worked on the robot and
0: it worked. <laughs> The discovery process can be full of frustrations, but learning to work through these moments of irritation and trudging forth in the face of failure is essential practice for any inventor. Dr. Johnson is no exception to this rule. He remembers being a young child with big ideas that all started with a gleam of curiosity. So he shared some advice he gives to other kids with life-size goals.
1: Perseverance, seeing a project through, That goes all the way back to my childhood, I think, in that, you know, the robot took me over a year to build and then to win first place at the University of Alabama. Obviously, that made made an impact.
3: I do think perseverance is a driver of the first program. I don't think you can make progress forward without failing. It's, it's straight up part of an engineering design process, part of any d- design process. Failure is
0: super important. And yes, go out and fail, I would say. There's no shortage of perseverance in the super aqua squad. They didn't get their invention right on the first try. It took many, many iterations before they found the right solution.
2: Yeah, six. No. No. Two. Two. Three. It was eight. Oh. We came up with eight before the the original.
0: This is all part of the discovery process. Lonnie described how to keep track of your dream even in the face of doubt.
1: Believe in what you, if you see having a vision and you can see where it can be successful, then persevere and pursue that idea because quite often it's hard for other people to envision what you see. For me, you know, making it a reality, putting it on a table and being able to demonstrate it and trying to get beyond the imagination of other people, I think is when things start really coming together.
0: It certainly helps if you have a coach who shares your vision and is willing to work around the clock to support your goals. It's a big commitment, but the positive impact is mutually experienced by the kids and their coach. These
3: girls are amazing. I mean, I've coached for eight years and I have never worked with young ladies like this that are so strong and it's just an honor to have the opportunity to work with them and see them grow and change and I just I can't wait to see what they're gonna do with their future so I'm very proud of them
0: Miss Colton teaches by example her leadership has inspired her students to give back two of the girls we spoke to currently mentor for younger first students
2: you went from participating to becoming someone that's helping out the kids, so you're you're technically the example to them. And it's also kind of exciting because like you're now the person that helped you during the years. Like our mentor helped us a lot, a lot. And now we're mentors.
0: (laughs) First Lego League offers an opportunity to shine and that is meaningful for young people figuring out their place in the world.
2: So I wanted to join First Slug League because I was doing really bad in school and then like now that I've done First Slug League I've actually succeeded a lot.
0: Here's the aqua squad's advice to students who may be questioning their own ability.
2: Don't give up on yourself. You may think that you're bad, but in real life it turns out really different. Like at the beginning I thought I was going to be horrible and ruin everybody, but look where I am now.
1: I think what the most important thing I think is to have them experience success because that's something that you can't take away.
0: Looking forward, the Super Aqua Squad wants to start a company someday. And if their sales pitch is any indication, I'd say they're off to a pretty strong start.
2: Every helicopter and airplane should have an aqua box because an aqua box saves lives. <laughs>
0: To find success, the super aqua squad will likely need to patent their ideas. Patents are a critical part of innovation, but their purpose is not universally understood. Here's Sarah again.
3: Honestly, if you had asked me like four years ago if I knew squat about patents, my answer would be like, what's a patent? So it's kind of been
0: interesting for me to
3: know so much about it. I never thought I would.
0: Patents, while crucial to our daily life, can sometimes hide in plain sight. You don't realize
3: how much of the world around you contains intellectual properties. One activity that I guess I would challenge people to think about is take a look around you and think about like, wow, I'm drinking out of this paper cup, there's probably a patent on the shape of that cup or a patent on the makeup of that particular kind of paper. It's really all around us. I think maybe because it is so all around us, you don't step back and think innovation is a part of this and moving our inventions forward is a part of that patent process.
0: Because the interplay of patents and creativity is not always clear, it's important to start that conversation with young inventors.
3: It's as important to educate about intellectual property and patents as it is to educate about open innovation. Through my tenure at first, I have learned a lot through osmosis about intellectual property, which has been pretty fascinating. The United States Patent and Trademark Office, we work with their Office of Education and Outreach, and they do an amazing job making patents fun, teaching youth about what's a copyright. What is a patent? Why is it important? And so I really do believe that it's important because you want that patent to be there for the next innovator. If you aren't putting that down as a record, of like, here's my new idea, I got a patent, nobody is going to be able to search on that idea and build it up incrementally from there. So that's one reason why I think
0: intellectual property is
3: so important in the innovation process.
0: Dr. Johnson has and continues to contribute to that communal innovation process through his many patents and the work he does in his lab. His projects continue to evolve from his lifelong interest in energy.
1: Uh, True to form, I'm working on this engine that converts heat into electricity. And this one I've been working on for a while, literally uh, years. And when I first started, same scenario, you know, I'd go and present it, describe it to people. And they say, you know, they would say it won't work. Literally made a presentation at the uh, Office of Naval Research and got kicked out. And of course, I was embarrassed at that point. Turned out they discounted it before even understanding what I was trying to explain.
0: It's got to be hard to continuously have your ideas met with derisive resistance, regardless of your stature or record of success. But by now, Lonnie knows when to stand by his ideas and wait for eventual recognition.
1: National Science Foundation, a person who understood it, a guy named Paul Urbos, did a deep dive on the technology and realized that, hey, this is an entirely new way of converting heat to electricity. It's a new type of engine. Eventually, the engine was anointed by Copper Mechanics magazine as one of the top 10 world-changing inventions. NASA's interested in using it to power future spacecraft to convert heat from those nuclear power sources that I was talking about before into electricity and to do it a lot more efficiently than the, the existing technology. So, we have another major personal victory here in the making.
0: Even as a child, Dr. Lonnie Johnson couldn't keep new ideas to himself. He's been testing societal limits since his days as a student in a segregated high school when he built Linex the Robot out of scraps and went on to win first place in an Alabama engineering competition. Innovative notions take time and perseverance to catch on, but hopefully with inventors like Dr. Johnson committed to supporting and inspiring future disruptors, we won't have to wait so long. Thanks again to our guests, Lonnie Johnson, Chris Bench, Sarah Stray, Elizabeth Colton, and the Super Aqua Squad. I'm Lauren Hutchinson, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Stroke of Genius. This podcast is produced by At Will Media on behalf of Intellectual Property Owners Education Foundation. Please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to your podcasts.